Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Jim Ryan. For those that don't know Jim, well, Dirt Sports was his baby. Before that, he worked with uh, the others in the magazine industry, and now he's the marketing and sales director at SCORE. And we are really happy to have Jim Ryan on board. He's got a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait to get this conversation started. So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on board. Thanks, Big Rich. Uh, uh, it's great to, great to talk to you again. Yeah. Didn't get a chance to talk to last year because of COVID and all the shows that I normally see you at, they were shut down. So hopefully this year we'll get to see you at, at either SEMA or well, I won't be going to Off-Road Expo, but I'll maybe at SEMA. Correct. Yeah, we're, we're planning on being, uh, being uh, back and operating at all those operations right now. Excellent. Well, let's explore your life and share with our listeners about Jim Ryan. Where did you grow up? Where were you born and raised? Sure. Well, yeah, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, uh, Northern California to start with until uh, early teens. And uh, my dad got uh, promoted and transferred back to the Midwest of all places, um, to the corporate headquarters where he was working. And I uh, went to uh, finished high school and college back there and then came back out uh, w- with the motorcycle industry as soon as I graduated from college. What town in Northern California, because that's a big area. Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek. All Walnut right. Creek. Yeah, born in Berkeley, uh, raised in Walnut Creek. Uh, it was still a, a little uh, town. <laughs> All those were pretty rural areas at the time. I know they're not now, but it was uh, it was a great great time. You said you at early teens, then you went to the Midwest. Your your dad got transferred. Correct uh, to Canton, Ohio. Canton. Whoa! Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. So that's just the corporate headquarters on where my dad, uh, my dad got kind of promoted and we moved from San Francisco office to, uh, to Canton, Ohio, which was, it's good. It was a good place to grow up. Good people, good, uh, good, good uh, way of life. So it was good. So that kind of started, uh, that's where my, uh, my first interest in anything off-roading was started to happen back in those days. Okay. Um, as you can imagine, most kids back then were looking at mini bikes and things like that. And that's, that's where I got started. 
and then it's into motorcycles. And you went to then high school then in Canton? Yeah, Canton. I went to high school in Canton and then went to the University of Ohio in Athens, uh, which was a great time. And, and it was very formative years. Um, but yeah, as soon as, uh, as soon as I got out of college, I, I got a job in, uh, in California with the motorcycle industry, which is where I was trying to, uh, which I was trying to accomplish. So that, uh, I got me back out to California and stayed with uh, some friends for a while. I got, uh, I was hired by cycle news. Okay. Um, which used to be like the internet of the motorcycle, um, motorsports world. It was a, a great place, very high, high intensity. Uh, we were still putting out a, a newspaper-ish tabloid magazine once a week based on race results back then. It was uh, quite the experience. It should be a, it should be a movie <laughs> on, how, <laughs> on how all that worked. But a lot of great people went through that system. Um, and it was, a, it was a really good, really good friends of, of mine still, still were from those days. So. While you were, we'll we'll jump back into that here in just a minute. But while you were in high school, this is a question I ask everybody: Were you scholastic, athletic, or did your own thing? A little, a little bit of all, all of that, I would say. Okay. Um, bookish, I, I, I did decent. Um, the uh, athletics, uh, track and cross country. I was the captain of those teams Excellent. for junior and senior years. And um, from the, uh, well, I forgot the, your third option, but. Oh, do your own would, thing. Yeah. Now it was basically, uh, you know, went from mini bikes to some, some uh, initial dirt bikes from Honda world that were kind of dual purpose. So we were riding those on, on the weekends and in terms of general transportation, that's what kind of got me started uh, in the, anything off-road uh, right. went from uh, not too much street ever just solid off-road from the beginning and see i did just the opposite i did more street and no yeah. off-road yep. <laughs> until i got yep. to, like 1981 <laughs> when i got there out of it college. is so there it is yep so where did you go to college and what was your major then media yeah it was uh i went to the university of ohio in in, in athens okay it's a great, great college in the middle of nowhere. So it's kind of a, it doesn't, the whole city is the campus. Um, and they specialize in a lot of areas, which I didn't know about at that time, but I ended up in the School of Journalism there, which was one of the highest ranked area, um, schools of that. So I just kind of fell into it and they had fantastic um, teachers and professors and they had a, a pretty a unique, unique program where um, advertising was a major and it was in the school of journalism as opposed to being a subdivision of marketing in the school of business. Oh, wow. Okay. So I kind of fell into that and, uh, I had major guys from all the, um, agencies in New York and that were teaching there and it was just fascinating. So I kind of found my niche at that point, did real well in, uh, in all of that and, uh, kind of was trying to our special bonus projects and, and senior projects and all that. I was, I, I kind of focused on the motorcycle, motor, motor, motocross industry at that point and, uh, developed a campaign to sell myself <laughs> when you get out of school. That was kind of the project. Right. So it was, I went straight after the, the off-road motorsports, uh, motocross, particularly at that end. 
Um, I was doing a little bit of motocross and a lot of enduros at that point at the local, you know, Ohio fun level. And, uh, that was, uh, that was what my dream was. I mean, that's, uh, that was kind of my, I figured that out about the beginning of my junior year. So I was lucky enough to make it happen when I got out of college. Excellent. And when was, when was it that you got out of college? 1802. 1802. No, it was, uh, it was uh, 1976. 76. Okay. So you're a couple of years older than me. A couple of years older. A couple of years older. Okay, cool. And uh, you're in great shape. I got to give you that. <laughs> okay. I got to give you well, that. Well, everything, <laughs> everything's kept us pretty busy. Um, we don't have time to think about anything else. So SCORE was uh, the latest addition to that and it's it's a it's a good exercise for sure during the during the race weeks and everything else that goes on absolutely so those early years at cycle news how how did you end up with that job did you just walk in with a resume and say here i am and they hired you or was it a process no it was uh being in ohio i uh i basically sat i made a i made like a custom uh, resume that I did for my college senior project. And I sent it out to every manufacturer I could see in the magazines at the time, okay. which was like dirt bike magazine and, and uh, motocross action and cycle news. And when I got through all of those, those topics and their ad agencies that I, I was able to figure out who, who was handling Honda at the time or Kawasaki. And I got through all that. Then I figured, well, I've got all these out of these magazines. So I just sent resumes to all the magazines at the time. And, uh, I had a, few, I had a couple, uh, interviews and they were all in the West coast. So I, I, I flew myself out and had the interviews and cycle news was like the first one I had. And, uh, it was, it went really well. And it was my, I was reading cycle news, you know, forever in my, in my dorm, dorm rooms in, in college. And so it was, uh, it was, uh, cool. It was a great thing to be part of. Nice natural fit then. So, yeah. so, uh, what were some of the highlights of those early years at cycle news for you? Uh, getting really organized really fast. So when I first came in, you know, you're, you're the new guy. So they kind of give you everything on earth to do. Um, it was really funny. Uh, my parents dropped me off at, uh, Cincinnati convention center. And that's where uh, the big motorcycle industry show, sort of like their SEMA show um, at that time. And uh, I was just mesmerized. Every major star that I had been reading about was there. And I was getting introduced to them as, you know, this kid by Sharon, Sharon and Chuck Clayton, who owned Cycle News at the time, or were the owners. And um, that, was, uh, that was a pretty eye-opening experience. I just couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, flying back and we, we got into, you know, got situated in, in Long Beach area where Cycle News was. And it was it was intense. I mean, everything uh, they were putting out a, a magazine every week, not monthly. Um, so it was uh, I didn't know any better. So I thought this was the, the normal way to do things. But it was impressive to see how that worked and how fast everything had to work. And and I learned a lot of organizational skills. And especially the, the ad closing things on motorsports, that was, that was their, that was their world. You know, what, whatever happened on Sunday, we, we were selling on Monday right. and the, the deadline was Thursday for the press. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's how fast things came out. 
Um, actually, it was Tuesday. Now that I think about it, and it came out on in the new magazine said all the motorcycle shops um, on Thursday. So it was a really fast, never-ending process. I can't which, even uh, imagine. Which we all lived anyway. So we're uh, you know the Saddleback days and Indian Dunes and the rest of those tracks um, all over, not all, just in California but all over the West. So it was, yeah, the editors were just amazing. And the Supercross was just becoming a giant deal, and it it, it was uh, it was a great time to be part of that. Uh, for this, the years I was at Cycle News, it uh, it really taught me a lot. Do you remember what your first article? Well, it was it, I was getting Cycle News was great because we everybody got to do everything, but I was I was predominantly there for sales. Okay, um, but I ended up. Um, doing a number of articles and my big claim to fame was uh, I had a, a cover shot and some major interviews with the Suzuki motocross team during uh, their training exercises. Um, when Remember Nautilus equipment? Oh yeah. When, when it was the big regiment training session. I had a, I had a big piece on that. Um, so yeah, it was, I wasn't too much on the editorial side at that point, but uh, again, we, uh, we all shot and, and whenever they would, let me, I would uh, write something in those days, um, which was cool. You'd see something printed or get the cover photo or whatever it was. But So, uh, so how long yeah, did so it good, last at Cycle News? About three years. Okay. Um, I think three, three and a half years. And then uh, went to up to Peterson Publishing, which was the most amazing place on earth in those days. Um, that was kind of, uh, where everything was happening. Um, they also, at the time they probably had about 11 magazines, um, including motor trend and hot rod and car craft. Um, they were just starting a new off-road magazine called uh, four wheel and off-road at the time. And, uh, and that's when I, I, when I went up there, I went, uh, I went on to four wheel and off-road as it was. I think it had just gone monthly and it was a kind of a brand new off-road title uh, in that, in that category. Um, but that, uh, Peterson publishing company was, was just an amazing place in terms of what it's, it's contributions as a Mr. Peterson, his contributions to everything from pol political aspects to creating SEMA, um, creating a, the, the diving industries version of SEMA, um, just it's kind of just nonstop what uh, what what Mr. Peterson and, and that whole organization created over those many, many years. Right. Absolutely. But I, I was there for 17 years under Mr. under Peterson wow. publishing banner till he basically uh, had done everything he could possibly do and, and sold it off to uh, the first of many, many investor groups um, <laughs> in the in the late uh, late 90s. Okay. But uh, yeah, that was another huge learning curve and outstanding people to work with the editorial and, and management teams and in, in sales operations. So it was another huge deal. Obviously, they, they kind of advanced you as the company was growing so fast. We, we got to move to different positions and different responsibilities pretty regularly. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a really, really great place. Uh, learned a lot there. So when you went to Peterson's, did you go over in sales and marketing? 
Uh, yeah, well, it's just sales. sales. The place was so big. Um, yeah, we were part of a, a major sales team. I handled the Western region at the time uh, for four wheel and off road. And as things evolved from that, I'm trying to think of how that worked. But uh, I got I was moved uh, with Motorcyclist Magazine and, and Dirt Rider for uh, a number of years, and uh, that got anchored. And then uh, they moved me to um, network sales for the Western region, which was dealing with all the OEMs and, and um, other accounts that went across many different titles and categories. And I kind of ran that until the early 90s and then moved to a, a publisher slot which in those days was a big deal. And I was on a, a baby magazine. It was called uh, sport uh, sport truck magazine on the street industry, right? Um, which was a hot ticket back then. Um, the street performance on pickup trucks was becoming huge. And we had major success with that magazine for a long time. Um, big things changed again. And I came back over to four, four wheel and off road to, uh, to, to run that basically sales and marketing into that, uh, which was some big years. Um, great staff. David Freiberger was, was the editor I worked with when I first came over on that side. And he's done quite well with, he stayed, he stayed with Peterson for, or, and even beyond um, for quite a while. And he's now the superstar movie star now on um, roadkill and numerous other items that uh, I think it, I think it's the motor trend group. That is now that that company. I yes. think that's what it's called. Yeah, I believe you're correct. But um, those are some great years on that. Uh, then we started evolving. I became the truck group director, published group uh, group publisher. Then it was the off road group publisher after that. And uh, then we started getting bought out. And uh, kind of the I was handling the same group of magazines. Four wheeler ended up being under my my uh, my wing for a period also on, uh, with the other magazines as again, publisher we, or sales publishers publisher okay so I, the group publishers which basically ran sales and worked with the editorial guys okay and the marketing programs and the marketing for sure programs, that okay. just was kind of all encompassing i was always impressed with with everything that that all that whole peterson group did and then with all the different magazines that you worked with, was there was there one that that has stood out that you said that was that was my favorite? At the, at Peterson years, yeah, I would say four wheel and off road. Okay, um, it really uh, was transforming, and it had a lot to do with the editorial. David Freiberger was spot on with how he was reading the marketplace, and uh, the. the explosion in circulation obviously gave us a lot of tools on the advertising side and marketing side. Um, but I, I would say that one, that one basically, yeah, yeah. I think a lot at Peterson years, that was definitely, uh, the, the one title that uh, stuck with me. And like you said, everybody, at least at, at cycle news, um, wore a lot of hats. Was Correct. the same thing happening at, at Peterson? No, 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 there was, it was such a giant company, um, that was not expected. Um, we, we did just by nature of the business, you know, we worked as teams, but, um, it was not the assignment, um, like it was out of necessity back in the, back in the earlier days. 
Um, but it, uh, you know, we had a really stellar uh, editorial group, and they were all run by a group editorial director and, um, and you know, circulation departments and, and events divisions and many, many other tools that were just very fortunate to, to use for uh, sales and marketing purposes. Uh, the Peterson Ranch, um, the, the yacht, the airplane. You know, uh, those are days with uh, expense reports and we're expected to be out meeting with clients nonstop. So it was, it was an era, that is for sure. Southern California really has been the hub of so much of the automotive industry, um, mm-hmm. at least with the new waves and, and you know, anything that new that comes along typically seems to come out of Southern California. What was the uh, What was the thing that you thought in all those things that happened down in Southern California that was like a monumental moment, one of those epic something happening. Interesting. That is very interesting. I mean, in the motor, in the motorcycle era, it was supercross, right? Um, Mickey, the Mickey Thompson series for the off-road end of it. Those are kind of galvanizing entities for that were new. Um, and expanding the, the marketplace with television and you know, big seat arenas um, and, and held their own for a lot of years. Um, I think they, they brought the OEMs, either one, whether it was motorcycles and Supercross or Ford, Chevy, Dodge, Toyota, Nissan, Isuzu into, uh, into off-road racing. Um, the Mickey Thompson deal was uh, kind of the first step um, before they really made major major inroads into what is now score and um, the other, the other off-road areas. Okay. But um, that on that side, in terms of the, the OEMs helped drive that a lot also um, by coming in and getting involved with, again, from a motorsports perspective, they helped market the entire category, something like Toyota and Ivan Stewart, in Nissan had numerous, numerous high teams of um, Ford Rough Riders. Those are all big programs for marketing um, off-road, the off-road motorsports hook. But that obviously, that's the halo effect, right? Yes. Uh, all, all motorsports is, is kind of the, the top end cool part that everybody would like to be involved with, but they want to be associated with it through the lifestyles. Um, it, it's, it's sure hard to get... Uh to get those manufacturers involved nowadays. Yeah, that's an understatement. That would be another hour long show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's sad to see where they were and where they are, but there's a lot of reasons. Yes. Time, different times, different, uh, different accountabilities, different everything. But uh, yeah, we're, we're still working nonstop. It's a, uh, the other side of it is the, the market we deliver now is, you know, hundred times bigger than it was then but it's uh, luckily we, we are working with a number of oems right now it's a current level current job right it, with score exactly so let's discuss where that transition happened from the peterson publishing or whatever group it happened to be when you decided to start dirt sports Okay, well, I'll tell you as much as much as I can. Um, well, yeah, yeah. We went through we went through a, a number of uh, 
quick buyouts and then settled into a couple other um, publishing media companies. And, you know, every time a little bit would change at the company or a lot would change toward, towards the end. And, uh, you know, you always have your, your options. You like it or you don't like it. What are you going to do about it? So um, I had uh, talked about some new concepts in my, in my truck group, my off-road group. Uh, in those latter days when I was still there and uh, and I could just see what was shaping up around the industry. Um, and I pitched it and it didn't go anywhere. So I said, well, this is still a good idea. So I, uh, I spent some time kind of getting more details and a little bit more due diligence on it. And uh, I finally decided to go out and um, there was another, uh, another company that, uh, that took me on Advanced Star at the very at the at the end of that ride uh, on the, uh, what was Peterson, but that was probably five companies removed by that time. Um, so uh, yeah, that's the uh, the initial thought process on Dirt Sports and uh, the trade show and a trade book. Um, that we launched that in 2004, 2000 yeah 2004. Um, with uh with advanced star that's uh that's set another whole new path you know another layer of exposure and you know addressing that type that part of the market that now is a very viable viable big big player uh, being motorsports and the lifestyle that went around it um part of that is watching it over the years you know desert racing had always been around and you had a good the good development of the short course series starting to happen in the Midwest with Crandon and soda. Um, and later evolved into core, which really got really started evolving and, and maturing. And then the big, the big, the deal that the part that sealed the deal for me was, was you <laughs> was the rock crawling side. <laughs> um, when you guys started getting very organized and, and having, and team efforts and schedules and rules and regulations. And um, there was different versions across the country, which kind of linked coast to coast at that point. Yes. Um, which gave, you know, the Western desert racing and then the Midwest short course areas that kind of made a total, total blanket on North America in terms of what motorsports activities would be happening. And the, and the, uh, and the racer base and the enthusiast base that was attached to that. So that's when kind of the uh, development of the dirt sports concept came aboard. And, uh, and that was a really good, really good experience for many years. Um, getting that to happen. We had a really strong staff on that too. Yeah. That I remember. I was really, yeah, you, I was really impressed with, with what you guys were doing with that. And one of the things, one of the first things I remember is, the dirt sports expo yes the first one and you guys had that promoter roundtable and you guys asked me to be one of the promoters up there and i was that is correct i walked up there and i looked around and went damn what am i doing up here (laughs) no it was was all part of it i I remember i I chaired that and it was uh we had i think 13 off-road motorsports um basically general manner managers or owners up there from all the different different aspects yes 
I, I don't know if that ever, I know that hasn't happened since then, but yeah, that was, uh, that's kind of what we're trying to, trying to showcase, you know, kind of its overall impact and strength and what it was in the marketplace, you know, through our other channels, like, like dirt sports and our, and our, and the website at the time and our, in our trade book, we're able to kind of get that message, you know, get that message out there in a professional way. What was it like taking it from the big corporate setup to basically doing it yourself? Or yeah. were you, or were you, or were you still under advanced R at that point? Well, yeah, there was an obvious break there, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, uh, we were going, it was, everything was going strong, strong, strong. Um, things I, and my, I mean, I still think about this. I mean, 2008 became kind of, we had a, a trade or trade show in 2008 at Anaheim and it was basically a sellout on floor space. But when we opened the doors, the dealer turnout, cause it, again, it was a trade show is like, and the dealers are free. It's in the sound like they have to pay. And there was just a massive cutback and we're going, what is going on here? Um, this would have been about March, 2008. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the first alarm bell for us on what is going on. Uh, the market started slowing down and then by August, September, it was really getting apparent that things, something bad was happening. Um, and that's when the market crashed and everything else, um, as a, as we headed into 2009. But, uh, yeah, so advanced stars started cutting back and I could see that kind of on the, on the, you know, they were going to be doing that on a lot of things back there. So, I had already started planning on just taking it out because it was still efficient. There was still a good ad base and there was still a big reader base. Um, so I took it out and uh, originally was thinking about some, ex, you know, some other investors, but not at that time. I mean, everybody was trying to save themselves, right? Yes. Um, so timing was great on my part, right? So I just said, <laughs> hell with it. I'll take it on myself. And, uh, did some, you know, some personal adjustments and and brought people in and and uh, tried to keep things going on as strong as possible. And we had, you know, it wasn't a surprise to us, but we continued to grow through 2009, um, which that was pretty amazing um, at that point, uh, considering what it what was happening. But um, so we were we were out on in the fields. It was. I know it's same, same, probably the same schedule you have now, but I, I don't. <laughs> but the dirt sports years, I mean, we did about 38 weekends a year out on the different race circuits um, um, for the teams and for editorial and for magazine distribution and all of that. So it was kind of uh, kind of our world. But it, you know, you don't think about much about it when you're doing it. But it was a it was a long time for many many years being on the road. It was, but it was good. Was with the race teams and the manufacturers, and it was kind of that community that was traveling around together, different areas. They were but, all uh, working together to try to save what we were doing. Yeah, that was that was that was the battle cry then for sure. It was uh, there was a lot of a uh, lot of lot of cuts and and uh, rightfully so, people traveling and teams and sponsors, and they were all kind of up in the air back then. So. We were trying to hold that together from what we could do to help. Um, um, so, yeah, it was, those are some trying days, but they were still pretty rewarding. True. 
True. And 2009, I was going to walk away from being an event promoter. And um, I had met my wife, Shelly, my future wife, Shelly, there um, in that time frame, late 2008, early 2009. And she convinced me to keep it going. And so um, I could tell everybody at the rock crawls all the time that, you know, if it wasn't for Shelly, we rock would be gone. And uh, God knows probably the sport at that time, too, because there was nobody else doing it. So Correct. by then, Correct. everybody else had uh, had left. And I remember when everybody when everybody else had gone by the wayside that uh, Dustin Webster calls me up and goes, okay, Rich, you can't quit now. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, there's too many businesses and too many, you know, teams and people that have been building and that rely on rock crawling to keep going. So you have to keep going. And I was like, Dustin, don't put that on me. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, but he was I right. I remember Dustin. Yep. But he was right. That was good. That was good. Yes. It was a, it was definitely a time to draw the line in the sand somewhere. Right. Yep. Uh, what was going to happen and how, you know, ride it out and hopefully hope for the best after that. Yeah, we had some pretty lean years there with uh, events on how many teams showed up, but you know we 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 fought tooth and nail, and we're still doing it, and the and the sport's growing again. I mean, we're back up to yeah, I noticed you know, fifty, sixty cars on the West Coast events, so you know, and in the twenties on the East Coast, so we're getting there. Yeah, well, congrats on that. Let's discuss dirt sports and the things that you guys did particularly what you did in developing that that magazine or that part of the lifestyle, um, uh-huh. your masterpiece in metals. Yeah. Talk about yeah, those that a little was, bit. Uh, that, was, uh, that was from the beginning. And I'll, t- I'll just tell you, the Racer Magazine was, I think, the best thing going on at that time um, when, we were, when I was still at, at the uh, other company. And, uh, and they had a, a beautiful, you know, every month they would showcase a vehicle in the studio. And we all thought that was pretty cool. But, you know, the technology and all the, the intricate details that go into off-road vehicles are as much or more so, um, especially with the development on the, you know, some of the higher end, um, like trophy trucks, for example. But it was, that's, that's what started that. And the funny thing is I started, I tried, I tried to emulate some of that. We, uh, we, uh, when I was still uh, over at, um, at the, wasn't Peterson days, but it was still four wheel and off road days. And, uh, we were at the Indianapolis fairgrounds for, a a, a core race, uh, the one year that they did it there. And I had one of the editors I had with me. I said, I want to do this thing. So we took Rob McCachran's short course truck and we took the body panels off it and shot it against the side of a barn uh all the <laughs> all the detail work and uh and then we ran that and it got like big reviews in in four wheel and off-road at the time and i said well this this is kind of where we wanted to start with but that was kind of the first uh the first incubator on on something like that and that was a four wheel off-road we, i was trying to bring some motorsports activities back in there because they've been gone for years um, based upon 
you know, where the reader surveys were going and, and motorsports had, had kind of in the nineties, I should say, um, had kind of just dwindled. But, uh, so that's, uh, that's how that started. So we got over to, uh, advanced our, um, yeah, the whole concept and pitch was bring these back and we were going to be putting them in the studio, but, uh, I have to give credit. I had, I had Marty, Fioka with me at the time. He was doing some freelance stuff up at at, at the other company for me, and I, I brought him in, and he brought in Boyd James, and uh, and we had a budget for that type of photography through Advanced Star, and that's where it really really got started getting polished, and uh, and uh, was able to showcase all not not any one particular form of racing, but all forms of racing. So, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a great, uh, it, it did evolve. I mean, that was a masterpiece of metal was, was, was quite an iconic piece, uh, for, for dirt sports and for the industry. Yeah. And Boyd was, or is a phenomenal photographer and a lighting master. Um, yep. and I can say that because I'm my, my degree, um, is a commercial photography degree. Um, and, okay. and I, I graduated from a school called Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara and back in 81. And it was, uh, product advertising and commercial photography was my, what my degree was in and lighting. I mean, I never, I did some automotive stuff, but it would be like out on a golf course or something like that. But most of the uh-huh. stuff I did was, was product, you know, and you sit it on a light table or, you know, in somebody's, you know, factory or whatever and shooting their stuff, their product they're putting together, brochures and their catalogs when people still had printed catalogs. And when I saw Boyd's first masterpiece in metal, and I don't even remember which one it was, but I was just like, I was completely blown away, had no clue who he was. (laughs) Right. But all of a sudden it was like, damn, they found a great photographer. So, yeah, yeah, it was all part of the deal. And you know what? The very first one is, as I recall, was a, a rock, a rock crawler. What I think, was it? I think Tim Tim Susamian, um, at the time with beard seats. I think yeah. I remember a red rock crawler. I think that was our very first uh, masterpiece of metal. I wonder if it was since it was beard, if that would have been Jason Shears. I know. I'm just I, I can't remember that far back, huh. but I think I'll have to ask Jason that. that. It might have been. It might have been. I still have an archive here. Oh, excellent. Somewhere. So then, what was your favorite part of that magazine? Or I want to. I you know. I know you guys did the shows. You did the magazine. Um, there was other aspects of that too. I think you mentioned. What What was the What was the pinnacle point for you in that magazine? Oh, it was just kind of unifying watching it all come together uh, kind of unifying off-road motorsports as a you know a badass area of of motorsports in general you know against uh, against other uh, the other more well-known categories um but we had we had numbers uh, and most of all we had uh, you know a lot of technology developments going on just whatever was coming out of whether it was rock crawling or short course or desert racing, uh, you know, uh, trophy trucks started getting developed in 94, 
I mean, they were evolving into spaceships at that time. Yep. But uh, it was uh, that was cool. But but always, I mean, that was the technology hook and the, and the cool factor. But it was always the teams uh, in my mind, and that's kind of continue that right now with what I'm doing. But it's promoting the teams and the and the, and the individuals and all those type of efforts uh, across the board because that was. Those were the those are the stories. The racing was always the racing, um, but it was the behind the scenes involvement with the teams and what was going on, and you know trials and tribulations and, and what what they had to do, and you know the, you know we, the, the relationships we had with them across the board um, during all those years was really good. So, but, um, what what was your circulation? I know that you guys. You guys did a lot of stuff at the events where you would go to the events and you'd give them out there. Uh, Correct. And you you started to get away from the magazine rack. Is that correct? Correct. Um, two reasons. And uh, knowing, I mean, the mag the magazine world was starting to hiccup around I don't know 2010, 11. You, you could just see kind of newsstands newsstand portion of it was um things were changing and uh, how people were were looking at information or going to the newsstand or, or whatever it was the newsstands were were getting a little bit you know the numbers were getting smaller and smaller and, and shelf space was becoming a more of a premium on product i mean it was a whole whole deal that I've, I was obviously watching from the old days that I, that I was still looking at all of that stuff um, for good reason. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of, and that, that was ultimately the entire collapse um, was the, the newsstand just exploded around 2014. It didn't exist anymore. Like outside of women's, women's books and the, and the firearms and outdoor industry have done well still on the newsstand. But other than that, uh, it, it doesn't really exist anymore. Well, and, and then but, the way you have to deal with the newsstands now, um, you know, where you're basically they're taking your magazine, they'll sell it. What doesn't sell, you have to you have to take back. Correct. Was that always and that's the case? never changed. Okay, that yeah. was that was always the case. All right, and it was uh, an acceptable part of the business for you know for decades and decades um it was you you would print twice as many as you would sell and hope for a 50 percent sell through that was like outstanding um but uh yeah you still paid for all the print run on all the all the rest of the magazines but it, it was uh that, that that era was definitely changing pretty fast so we just went straight to the straight to the end user and that's a that's what we followed with four low yeah. is we've never been available except through subscription and, and at events. So it, it was a model that we, that we took as well. And it's worked well for us except during COVID because we didn't yeah. do <laughs> near as many events or, you know, even though we did, we did pull off our season, um, both East West, that kind of thing. We, we still did not, uh, and we had good numbers. It still wasn't the same. I mean, we we lost Easter Jeep, we lost no, Off Road Expo, it's, it's we a, lost it, SEMA, you know everything. Yeah, it's a tough, tough world, tough world out there on, from that perspective. True. So we're getting back to that, but I don't 
think that's going to change magazine world at all. No. Um, in fact, when I had the the, the current um, version, you know, the score journal that we work on is a totally different perspective and strategy. Um, it's meant to support the series and everything that has to do with score from current racers to historical purposes, to score news, to race racer information, to, you know, all the vehicle stuff, um, safety information, and all of that's good. Um, and but it's digital definitely. Yeah. yeah. Digital has made it, you know, a global media entity immediately. Um, we never dreamt it would be what it's doing right now. It was, originally supposed to be kind of a newsletter to to give the sponsors and the racers kind of uh, more information on what was going on with score because there was so much going on in in those transition years um, back in 2013-14 so it uh it basically became this this media entity which uh, we're happy about <laughs> but it's uh it, it was uh it was never meant to be you know two million readers a month which it's doing right now wow yeah that's phenomenal yeah it's it's good it, it, it obviously even though it's a score journal it transcends the the reader bases everywhere because of the the information that's in there it's uh it's not just score 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 it still has to do with like i said safety equipment and, and vehicle features and historical things and personalities and everything but yeah so that's it's kind of took a, a different that that's that's working for us at this point. Are you involved with with that digital publication then? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Figured. <laughs> quite 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 heavily. Um I have a staff uh, does a great job on that, but uh yeah, it's just it's it's you know like like everything else. It's not something we do full time because there's so many other things that we we work on. Um but it uh you know we we spend you know 10 days on it maybe two weeks a month on it. Um, and that's, it's, we have a good template and a good working formula right now. So it's, it's doing real well. Excellent. The score transition that you were talking about with the Normans taking, uh-huh. taking over from Sal, I thought, I thought it was going to go a different direction um, with somebody else. And then when it was announced that Roger was becoming the head of score, I remember I texted him and said, you know, Hey, do you need me? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, we, uh, we have helped out on a, on a couple of uh, events and stuff, but, uh, it was, I think that it was an interesting transition because people really didn't know what to think, you know, whether they were the racers or the marketing partners, um, the I don't think the spectators it was a biggest deal, um, although there was all sorts of talk about it on you know, on all the the right. websites at the time. So how do you think it went? When did you jump in with Score at that point? I jumped in about well seven years ago. Okay, you know, basically in August. Um, so that was uh, there was a lot going on. Score was still a bit really aggressive with Roger. You know, he was definitely taking it to that next level of where it had to go eventually. Right. And part of that was uh, SEMA. They had uh, just had a program developed with uh, 
bringing score trophy trucks to SEMA. And uh, they had got they had gotten all that together, but now they needed uh, somebody to put it together and, and make it happen um, from the team's team perspective and uh, getting it kind of organized with SEMA. So that's uh, um, that's why I was originally brought in um, for that, and everything kind of morphed after that. But that was the immediate the immediate goal was to get that get that going, and that. That was a big deal. Um, getting in the, I think the first year we had like 23 trophy trucks there for that, that work for qualifying for the Baja 1000. And uh, yeah, SEMA, SEMA was very generous with uh, the space. We had the entire silver lot in front of the South Hall. And um, the, the amount of power needed for the teams and what evolved into like 35 trophy trucks, I think, in the last year. Um, you know, shutting down Las Vegas main strip to escort those things out to the Las Vegas motor speedway for qualifying. It was a good run. It was, it was totally necessary that that whole program was developed for getting set up for the 50th anniversary years for the score Baja 1000 and the Baja 500, right. which happened um, 2017 and 18. So that was the whole purpose of that to, uh, to get the score brand and, and represent off road at SEMA for that same purpose and 17 and, was uh, for the thousand correct correct okay correct and that was uh that was uh, actually that was the last time we were we did a peninsula run because of covid last year so that that's back on this year uh, the peninsula run oh excellent to uh, la paz but yeah that was uh that had run its course so we after the baja one baja 500 year we we put a, that that just ran its course right so um those are those are some big years there. I remember the the thousand um, in seventeen because Elise called Shelley and said, "Hey, are you going to be down here? I could use your help." And we were we were in Alabama at Gulf Shores little conference, and uh, when we got the call like the week before, and we said, "Well, we hadn't planned on it. We don't have rooms." <laughs> but and Elise goes, "Well, I can get you rooms. Don't worry about that. If you get here." We can use you. So very good. That was we we made arrangements, which is another story in itself. And then getting home because we had to hitch a ride down from San Diego when we flew in, and then Jason Cobb had just taken over Trophy Light. Yeah, right. And okay. so I I drove the box truck with the race car, the pre runner on the back back from the race back to Phoenix so that we could, uh, we could get back to our vehicle. <laughs> so it was quite the, the show, but I remember, I remember you coming into the tech and contingency area, the morning of tech and contingency, and then having to reset up the, the fencing. And that was when, uh, Elise and Roger put me as like the gate guard for, for tech. <laughs> right. And boy, right. I sure enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah like a like a dentist appointment <laughs> oh no really i enjoyed it oh, okay good um you know i i used to uh i kind of helped work my way through college um doing kind of the same thing in there you in go nightclubs. all right so this right. time it was just dealing with a lot of people that i knew a lot of people i didn't know but you know just it was a lot of fun you know telling yeah, telling was- people only two you know, and yep. then people trying to t- 
team owners would come up and go, okay, I want to go to my truck or my car. And I'm like, okay, which one of those two in there do you want to come out? <laughs> right. And, uh, it was, it was great. I, I had a really good time. I don't know if I've made any friends down there that, that day, but you know, it was. Yeah, that's a tough job. It's got, it's gotten <laughs> even tighter than that uh, for, for safety reasons and then COVID on top of it. Right. But I can yeah. imagine. I can imagine. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, the, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. No. So the, yeah, the 2017 was, was definitely what we were, were working those years up to. And, um, Part of that was getting all the, the, you know, the marketing assets developed to support the series and kind of, kind of all hit, hit its stride by 2017. So the score journal, you know, started in 2015. The website was in 2015. Social media was getting kind of at least a plan behind it. Um, so all that stuff started getting, again, with the target being getting ready, getting ready for the 50th anniversary years. Um, you know, which they include live streaming, just kind of getting its feet wet down there. It's more, it's a technology issue more than anything. Um, as you, as you already know. Right. So it's, it still is, <laughs> but that's where, that's where it started. Um, just making sure all those tools were available. And the, a big thing that, that did occur with score that Roger did instantaneously was bringing television in for, in for every race. Um, and that became a, a big driver for, for, for exposure for the teams and the sponsor base at the time. And as we grew the sponsor base. Yeah. I remember having which, that conversation with Roger and he goes, Rich, you got to do TV. And I'm like, I'm trying. He goes, yeah. I can't get, you know, the funding. And he goes, you just got to fund it yourself. And I'm like, Roger, I'm on a different funding <laughs> level than you are. <laughs> yeah. It's a different, different world for sure. He de definitely. But, but he was able to do it. And um, that was a big deal. The first year, 2014, um, was trophy truck only uh, just to get, get a handle on how this was going to happen uh, with CBS Sports. And then, uh, again, that was brand new. Prior to that, uh, from a score perspective, you know, get different production companies that come in about every three years and do something on the Baja 1000 or something on the Baja 500. And it was kind of random. Uh, and it was good when it was happening. But uh, starting with 2014, um, yeah, it was an hour long show on every, every, every race we had um, basically involving trophy trucks. And then for 2015, it went into all all the all the pertinent classes if there was a story to be told so that's what's kind of held since then with different uh different television partners but that's uh that's a big deal and what year was it that that score stopped doing events in the states in california uh, uh that would have been see in 2016, maybe. Okay. That's yeah, what I, was I think 2016, um, the uh, Imperial Valley race was one in September. It was it was just kind of brutal, so we moved it to uh, Rosarito Beach uh, in 2016. Um, yeah, 2016, and uh, it was great. It was right on the coast. It, the, but it became more of a short course lap deal. Um, 
not that tight of a course, but it was, you know, 40 mile loops, 60 mile loops. Um, and it turns out, you know, our guy, we did that for a couple of years. Um, and, in uh, we did one in Rosarito and then two in, in Tijuana, um, desert challenge, uh, Lucerna desert challenge. And they were great races. Uh, but we just finally, you know, decided our guys, when they come down to Mexico, they like a lot of seat time. They like the long distance enduro because the effort is the effort getting ready to come down to Baja. Right. And, um, and, um, all the, all the aspects that has to do with that. Um, it did help on their chase truck crews. They didn't have to, they didn't have to get into logistics on that race, but it was still, you know, it was just, it wasn't what score was about at the time. You know, never say he can't come back, but, uh, that be, that morphed into the new Baja 400, which is in September now. And that had a great initial response in 2019. Um, obviously we had to, we had to postpone and eventually cancel that race last year for COVID, but, uh, it's back. That's what we're headed into. That's our, our, our all our planning and operation stuff is for the Baja 400 now in Ensenada. Uh, that's happening this September. Excellent. And then, but, and that's just going to be a, a one 400 mile lap basically. Yeah. It's a loop race. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, it's also the qualifier Scott, uh, position qualifier for the Baja 1000. Okay. So it'll, uh, it'll do good. It's again, nice, to, nice, at least to start on the ocean. Um, and then, uh, we'll find out soon where the, where the race course is by our, uh, a race director having put on some races myself you know i owned vora for a few years in the early 2000s right. and then i had the dirt riot series which was more ultra four-ish um regional type stuff but everything was short shorter course like five to nine mile loops what is it like to to have enough volunteers and crew to put together even the 500, the 400, or especially the thousand, is that right? Is that a nightmare? It's it's well after 53 years, um, we do have a there is a there is a plan, right? <laughs> but it's you know it's generational and times change. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it, the amount of work that goes into a score race is is amazing. Um, that's why we have a, we have a full-time staff in operation out of Ensenada now. And that's where the president and general manager are located in the Ensenada office. They deal a hundred percent every day with, with all levels of the government from Mexico city, which basically supports score racing now in terms of their, their, their own marketing, oh, excellent. Um, us, us and F1 and, and soccer. So we, we made that, that, that happened a couple of years ago, but you know, it's everything from the restaurant and hotel associations to uh, the police departments and security and border, border crossing, um, um, the, the political end of the border crossing. And so our guys are very busy, uh, not to mention just the, the normal working with all the landowners and, and where the courses are going and permits and, under COVID and everything else. So they've, they've done an amazing job of navigating, you know, all, all, all these new factors. But, um, so they've done a great job. We're, we, as we were kind of the, the, the poster program for Baja in terms of events last year. 
there had been nothing happening down there until they allowed us to go ahead with the Baja 500 last September. So it wasn't on its normal June June date because um, we kept uh, moving it back. But so we operated uh, under strict COVID guidelines to see how it was going, and it, everything came out great. The the racers all. Um, you know, did what they were supposed to do in terms of social distancing and sanitation stations and masking and all that. So that allowed us to do the Baja 1000 last year also, which was kind of the key. So we got through that uh, for last year and get into this. But the amount of people, getting back to your question, sorry for the deviation. Oh, no, no, Go. that's uh, perfect. Is, uh, yes, it's the, the volunteer status is critical to what we have for road crossing and other every other as, aspects out in the out on the course itself and, and even around start finish line in operations but uh, yeah there's fortunately a good cadre uh, of leadership there and and uh, returning people that come down every year um so it's that part has worked but yes it's it's hundreds of hundreds of people as you already mentioned um that that have to be involved to make sure that these races operate and operate safely. Do you guys have a person, one person or, or who does somebody get involved with or contact for volunteering for race staff volunteer? Yeah, that, that too many channels. Um, um, it could come through virtually any one of us, but it will end up down in, at the Ensenada office with the race director, um, Jose Herralva. Um, and uh, Hector Ponce is basically the, handles all our volunteers out of the office. So it, it goes through a process, but um, you know, it's, it's kind of nonstop all year long. Right. Okay. Because I know that there's always, you know, I've been down there, not, not as a, not as many times as I wish, but I've been there down there quite a bit um, for different races and stuff, and in different capacities, uh, mostly with teams. And when people ask, you know, well, how do I get involved? I always tell them, you know, first of all, or they say they want to race. I say, first thing you need to do is go down there and volunteer on a team, or right. volunteer, you know, to help the, the race do something, not just build a car or a bike or whatever vehicle and just head down there to, to, to try it. Uh, I've seen so many people that have done that, that are just shocked and overwhelmed. Um, right. you know, not just at the thousand or the 500 or the two fifty, but at any races, even races up in the States where they've never been to a race and then they go to go race one. And, uh, I'm always amazed that people, you know, take that Avenue instead of, you know, checking it out first somehow. Yeah, cor correct. We, we, we get nonstop phone calls from, from, uh, which is great from all over the U S uh, they're going to go buy a new bike or they're going to buy a truck off the lot <laughs> and try to fix it up and come down. You know, it's their bucket list. They, they saw one of the TV shows or one of the movies and it's just something that they want to come and challenge, you know, as a, as a life challenge. Uh, but yeah, we, we try to intercept a lot of that and talk to them as much as possible. And in, in a lot of cases, we send them to a couple other series so they can get their, their skills down and their organizational skills down even more so. 
because um, we're it's a whole different whole different animal down there, as you already said. Exactly. So, so it's uh, it's 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 very rewarding, but very challenging at the same time, and that's the way it's supposed to be. True. True. So, anything in that's slated for the future at Score that uh, you can talk about that's coming up. Maybe something that that all the score people know, but maybe our other off-roaders that listen to this may not know. Yes. Yes and no. Okay. There's, there's a lot going on all the time. We're going to be introducing a couple of new initiatives here um, soon. Um, and I, I don't wish I could tell you right now. I know. Okay. But they're, they're going to be... They're going to be out in the next few weeks, actually. Um, and they're going to be, uh, we're, we're really happy. It took many, many months of, of a lot of hard work by a lot of people making these, these couple projects happen. But it's, uh, that's, that's mostly on the, the marketing side. Um, regarding, regarding the racing end of it, it's kind of just hang on. Uh, there's, always, there's always a lot in the works. But um, yeah, right now we have our our solid four race series, and that's and that's not going anywhere. That that basically is that's twelve months worth of a lot of work right there to make sure everything is done correctly and safe. But there's there's always there's always new new things on the horizon. Excellent. So what about for Jim Ryan? What's new? What's exciting besides everything that you're doing at Score, which I know is like probably twenty four seven. Yeah, it is like everybody in our world. Yes, um, I think the the new projects that we're we're, we're going to be introducing here um, were are probably what's going to be the, the newest the newest items. Everything else we're working on is, like you said, kind of nonstop. But you know, in our world, as soon as we clear the Baja 500 every year, we're working on that next year. Um, it, we already released our schedule which was great nice. uh, for 2022. Um, and then our some base, uh, you know, is all secure for the next few years. We're working on all the new guys that we've been working on for the last year or two. Um, you know how that works. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a process, a time process and timing and budgets and everything else. So all of that's going on right now. Uh, the show circuit is, is hot and heavy on the, on the day to day stuff that we're working on right now is, as you know, they're they're all back. Um, so we have the the Sand Sports Show, which for us the, is the UTV market market priority, which is we have four major classes there. Uh, those numbers continue to grow. Uh, Offered Expo's back. It's at the Ontario Convention Center now, um, so we'll be involved with that. Um, SEMA, we're involved with that. That's back. Uh, PRI is is another big show, especially for us. Uh, so all of that will be happening in you know Q4, um, getting uh, getting set up for uh, 2022. Excellent, excellent. So you don't see yourself retiring anytime soon? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, there's still a lot lot to do. Uh, uh, score itself turns 50 years old in 2023. Oh, nice. So. That's a that's a big deal. Uh, obviously, our rate the races that that are under our umbrella. We have two that are already eclipsed that landmark, 
Um, but uh, score itself when when Mickey Thompson started it will be 50 years old in 2023. So we'll have some things up our sleeves for that too. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, Did you ever see? Do you yeah. ever see the books that we put out for the 50th anniversary? I believe I did. I saw one. I thought one was at the Off-Road Hall of Fame induction yeah, dinner that was auctioned off or something. I think. Oh, yeah. There was a packet. Yes. We uh, we we produced two big 400-page coffee table books for both the 1000, Baja 1050th anniversary and the Baja 550th anniversary as a kind of a box set. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's done done well, and it's at least a recorded history of what went on there. So, we we might have a couple of those projects in the works in the near future. Ah, there you go, with the uh, yeah. with the fiftieth year coming up for score. I get it. Awesome. Maybe. Yeah, huh? maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I want to say thank you for for spending the time and coming on board and uh, doing the interview. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I think uh, I think our listeners will will enjoy it and and get a lot of information out of it. A lot of things I didn't know, and um, that means they probably didn't know either. And I appreciate it. Very, very good. No, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to talk to you, first of all. And uh, it's been uh, yeah. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, lot to to talk about from the past. It's just getting it organized for you. True. So if there's any anything else uh, after you look through this, if there's any other questions you have, just give me a call. I will do that. Thank you. You got it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Have a nice one. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.